I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Twelve Pack Radio. Get excited, y'all. Welcome back, everyone, to Twelve Pack Radio, your podcast source for Pac-12 football news, Pac-12 basketball news, and the home of the Beta Rank College of Football Advanced Statistical Model, and the home of the original Pac-12 Eliminator Pool. And we have a winner. We have a winner, Mr. Kenneth Harris. Congratulations to you. Um, uh, I, I will play the music and all the people that that departed in this last week, but um, I think this might have been the quickest Pac-12 tournament eliminator pool we've ever had in week six. We already have a winner, but um, congratulations to you. If you are a new listener to the podcast, thank you for subscribing. Um, you can follow us on Google Play, TuneIn Radio, Apple Podcasts, you name it. We're there. We're on Spotify, too. And you can follow us on Twitter at 12 Pack Radio. And I am starting to check our email account like pretty regularly. So if you have questions for the podcast, I'm going to start opening up um, the end of this segment to or the end of this podcast for questions. So send them to 12 Pack Radio, 12PAC Radio at gmail.com. We're happy to have you. And Rob, I, I have bad news for you, man. I have stolen the, the secret sauce, the mathematical equations to your beta rank, and I'm going to hold them hostage unless you can answer this question. Do you know where we're recording from right now? We are live from the Vivid Seat Studio. Oh, I thought you would never have guessed. Yes, we are live from the Vivid Seat Studio, clothing optional, and uh, where you can download their app, um, their Vivid Seat Studio app, and use the promo code OVERTIME, get $100 off of your first ticket purchase. So definitely check that out. It's a really great deal, and we're excited to be partnered with them. How are you, Rob? How how are you after... Um, just some enormous spreads that were certainly covered and surpassed in some aspects in the Pac-12 last last night. I am uh, I am just fascinated with the Pac. I mean, and the math behind the Pac-12 right now, like, is just unbelievably interesting. Like, Oregon State has taken a taken a huge jump, um, mostly behind their offense, and all of a sudden, there are very few Pac-12 games that are just not interesting games. Looking forward, there are, there are no gimmies. There are no. I mean, unless you've got UCLA, I suppose, on your schedule. But yeah, I mean, if Colorado <clears throat> can show up and knock off ASU on the road, then um, it's a it's an interesting conference right now. Oh, absolutely! This is one of the most fun conferences that anybody can cover. And Max, I know that you had mentioned that in your first podcast on 12 Pack Radio, just talking about how fun this is the conference of underdogs this is a conference that, you know, oftentimes you don't know exactly what's going to happen. And that certainly took some fruition last night. But how are you? We're with Sports Illustrated's uh, Max Meyer, um, who had a heck, heck of a week gambling uh, just all across the board. Thanks for joining us, Max. How are you? No problem. And yeah, definitely needed that after what's happened at SI the past couple of days. So <laughs> Uh, no, I got to thank uh, Oregon State and Cal's defense. 
picking up the pieces and uh, and onward and upward though. So uh, and and just to clarify for our listeners, are you, you're still writing uh, some of the game? I'm sure I'm sure like you, there's a lot going on, but you're still covering the gambling perspective. Your stuff is excellent, um, so I'm glad that you're still working with them. Um, will you continue to be putting up pieces on on college football and NFL gambling? Uh, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, content plan will be changing, but I, I'll definitely still be putting up college football best bet articles each week. Uh, just didn't do it last week because of the circumstances um, regarding SI, but I tweeted out my picks. And I think, yeah, the first ones that I tweeted, I went two and two. And of course, the Pac 12 ones went two and oh, and the non Pac 12 ones went oh and two. And then uh, I tweeted late Saturday afternoon because I saw that that cow line had already had gotten up to 21 and a half at some books. And I just, I couldn't believe it. I'm glad that, you, believe that I'm glad you're tweeting that out. I try to share everything you can. And again, it's at 12 pack radio, one, two PC radio on Twitter. And right when you sent that out, I didn't realize that the line had gotten that high. And I jumped on that very quickly. And, you know, just, just to put a little pep in your step here in being 24 and 14 against the spread. Very, very impressive. How are you feeling? I feel pretty good. And you know what? And, and that record could be better if I would have stuck to my podcast picks on two of those. But I'm, I'm so glad to have to be over 60% on Pac-12 games this year. <laughs> Quite good. Um, let's just get into it. It was a really interesting week. Only four games of the Pac-12 in week six. But let's start with you, Max. What were two or three big picture items that stood out for you this past week? So I do have to thank Cal for covering and for getting that under. But I have to admit, Cal was pretty fortunate uh, to stay within the number just because Oregon had two red zone turnovers um, and uh, play calling with Marcus Arroyo. It's just, it's, it's really bad. And, and yes, Oregon did a really nice job running the ball early on, but it's, uh, they, they really have to mix things up with the play calling. And I really think that that could cost Oregon down the line, but yeah, I mean, with the fumbles and the, the Herbert red zone interception, like th- this could have gotten out of hand early. And because Cal's defense was able to get takeaways, that was a big reason why that stayed in the number. But I'd, I'm not ready to – Cal is probably going to be a fade team as long as Monster's at quarterback. And Monster did actually make some throws, like some throws that <laughs> I did not think were going to be completed, had really low shots at being completed. But the Cal receivers made some excellent catches. But – uh, they're on, I think they're on, yeah, they're on by this week, but the following week they play my Oregon state boys. And that is definitely going to be a spot where I'm going to have to back the Beavers again, most likely. Um, and then let's, I mean, Oregon state, they just, they took care of business against UCLA. And like I said, on the podcast last week, it was which offense or which defense do I think has a better shot at getting stops. And Oregon State got an early fourth and one stop, I think at like the UCLA 29. And they also got an onside kick on a drop kick, which was awesome. And, and then once Oregon State got up 21 nothing, it was nice to see that they weren't uh, Washington State part two and were able to hold on to that big lead against UCLA. And then just, and then the Washington Stanford game, like Washington has one of those performances every year where they lose an inexplicable game on the road where they're a big favorite. And Davis Mills tore them up. He averaged over nine yards in attempt, nine yards per attempt. And Cameron Scarlett, uh, he got a lot of carries, and he was the um, he got like a hundred over a hundred yards. And Eason struggled. 
which was pretty surprising. But yeah, I mean, it's it though that that was the type of game that I think has really limited the ceiling at, at Chris Chris of Chris Peterson's time at Washington, and it, it happened again. Old school David Shaw. I think like half of the passes in that game went to tight ends. You had, like you mentioned, Cam and Scarlett had, I think, 150 yards. Really just had an excellent game. It was funny listening to the announcer talk about him. It was Rod Gilmore, who I love. I, I really like him a lot. But he goes, you know, he isn't really strong and he's really not fast and he kind of smells and, you know, he doesn't like, <laughs> like he had four, four preemptive butts. And they said, but he's a pretty good back and he's doing what he needs to do in this game. And he was absolutely right. It was fun watching him um, just kind of get just push, push, push against that defensive front seven for Washington. Rob, what uh, I know you were out and about this week, but I know that you also are a dedicated Pac-12 savant. So I know you watched a lot of these games. What were some things that jumped out for you? I think what stood out to me was really where Oregon State's offense is right now. I mean, they're they're at number five in, in beta rank after this most recent performance. Like nationally? Um, Yes, like nationally, like they're the number one <laughs> offense in the Pac-12. Um, what what you don't see, though, I mean, which is what's hiding underneath that, though, if you will, is that their their defense is at one twenty three. <laughs> so, um, like Oregon State now, they, they sit at fifty six. Like they're there's you know six spots behind Stanford in the model, um, and ahead of Washington State, Colorado, and UCLA. So no longer the basement for the Beavers. Uh, but it is it, it is like the even after UCLA you know went down twenty one I thought well if anyone can give this up it's Oregon State um, they didn't uh, to their credit but they're going to run into better offenses than they ran into with UCLA out there um, I thought the I thought it was interesting the the Cal like the model didn't knock Cal too much for their performance against Oregon. Um, even on offense, but what what's interesting there is the Oregon now has the number two ranked defense in beta rank. Um, just a phenomenal. I mean, that unit is just rolling. But um, as Max pointed out, and, and we've talked about on the pod all season, you know, the play calling really isn't where it needs to be. I don't think the offensive line, uh, and I had questions. I don't necessarily think starts is the best way to measure an offensive line's actual productivity. But they they grade out at number fifty right now in beta rank. So. Oregon's not some invincible juggernaut. Like if you can slow down the offense, um, you know, you might might be able to make some hay. That that defense is stout and they're at eight at special teams. But you're right, I mean that Washington game, that one really hurts. Their defense is, you know, hovering right around thirty. Their offense is, you know, right around twenty eight right now. I mean, they're at nineteen in the model, but um what I think a, a lot of Washington fans coming off of beating USC last week were sort of feeling like, hey, like we're 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 gonna you know we we have a great shot. We we could you know maybe even make a, a BCS bowl. They still can, but um, at this point they're probably only going to a, a you know it's not it's not a BCS bowl anymore. What are they called? The invite bowls that the non playoff. <laughs> kind of New Year's, Year's yeah, kind of New Year's, but not really New Year's sometimes. Bowls. Yeah, New Year's bowls. I mean, Washington's going to go to one of those bowls probably at this point only if they win the Pac-12 because they're like, like a lot of like a lot of teams. They've still got a, a number of teams that they are not that much better than left on their schedule. That offensive line was uh, interesting to watch. I mean, it just seemed like Stanford's front seven, which is which is good, but not like the Stanford front seven of old that you think of when you you, you know when the tree comes comes to town. I, that just stood out for me in terms of 
other teams playing Washington and putting pressure on Jacob Eason. He did this weird thing where he did like the zigzag back and forth and back and forth running backwards. And they finally got him after like the third time he was doing that. So um, the, the one thing that I do want to bring up before we get into the actual games and the lines coming up in week seven are the teams that didn't play. I think that's quite interesting. The Pac-12 South looks like one of the most fun races in the country in terms of crowning a champion there. You have Arizona that's sitting by itself at 4-1, and one, but you also have Arizona State who's had some really impressive wins. They went to Cal. They knocked off Cal. They went to Michigan State. They knocked off Michigan State. It seems like that team doesn't make mistakes, and, and Jaden Daniels is playing really well. They certainly should be um, a, a team to keep on, on the radar. I love that matchup back and forth. USC, I mean, has Notre Dame will get to that, but I think USC can still make a push if they can get their act together. <laughs> but I feel like we say that every year. So uh, I just think it's, it's an, inter- an interesting player in the Pac-12 South. And Colorado's banged up. That's an injury ward there. There's like 18 players on that Don Best injury <laughs> report right now. So um, I'm just curious to see who ends up starting to play, whether or not LaVisca Chenault gets back or Mustafa Johnson. Um, Onu's out now, and it looks like he'll probably be out for the year. So um, something else to keep an eye on. Did I miss anything, guys? No, I, I think we covered it all. Every single part. Heck yeah. Let's, right. call, it, let's call it right here. Right. <laughs> I'm going on break. Oh, I should also mention, so I'm starting to catch up to you, Max. I'm 21 and 17 against the spread, but 21 and 14 is, that's going to make it real tough. Rob, you are, you're, you're getting there, man. You, uh, I, I finally got you. Uh, I bit you in the heels, but uh, I know that beta rank really turns the, turns it up to 11. Where, by the way, how much more preseason data is in uh, beta rank as we go through your numbers in this next segment? So it's at 14% right now. Um, I did, uh, the special teams right now are still a little bit outside the the bands that I sort of put as acceptable to sort of turn off the preseason data. So, um, but it's it's almost all in season data at this point, with a little bit with just a little bit of uh, um, carryover to sort of nudge things over. But to be honest, like it's a good thing in some ways that projection data is in there. It's sort of been keeping Stanford afloat these last couple of weeks when a lot of people, including the model without that preseason data in there would have had them as a dog to Oregon state and a huge, I mean, they were a dog in the model to Washington, but like a, you know, Washington would have been an unbeatable juggernaut without that projection data in there for Stanford. So it, it, it's in there for a reason, you know, and next week will be, you know, a full in season run. Also, beta rank is like the beta rank is not crushing it in the Pac-12. Beta rank is I may not be crushing the Pac-12. Beta rank is crushing it right now. I have to get through and update all the numbers, but um, beta rank had another really good week. (laughs) It had five teams that were on the opposite side of the Vegas line as flat out winners, but they were dogs by Vegas and beta rank won four out of those five. And so I'm going to keep my eye on that a little bit more uh, because that would be uh, if that trend continues, that's a heck of a. A heck of a thing to keep an eye out for. So uh, to be continued, before we get into our our week seven preview and going through the week six games, it's hard to believe it's October already, guys. The college season is just heating up and my bookie, whom, whom I, I have, have been a, a patron and, and am a patron of, uh, so near and dear to my heart, uh, they give you more reason to get into the action, not only on your point spread in total, but my bookie offers in-game wagering, so track the action and movement as the games take place. Uh, game props, playoff odds, Heisman, national championship, you name it, you can basically bet on anything on my bookie, and um, I have something in the back of my mind that might be a surprise for our listeners as we uh, move forward in the podcast. 
But really, that just scratches the surface. Um, we've teamed up with MyBookie this October to give you a great offer. Sign up uh, at MyBookieAG, MyBookie.ag, and use the promo code OVERTIME, and they will match your first deposit. Again, the promo code OVERTIME, and for new users, for their first deposit, doubled. And I've done this. They actually, it works. Like that, 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 is, that is a legit offer. Um, take advantage of it. Free money. Get out there and get those bets going. Uh, MyBookie.ag, you pay, you win, and you get paid. And let's talk about getting paid right now with our week seven picks. Hey, um, can I get some Pac-12 gambling advice up in here? Is William Shatner? You want it? Pac-12 gambling lines? You got it. Nice. You want it? Baby, just bust a move. Okay. All right, we're back. Week seven. Five games, not four. Five. We each an extra one. USC at Notre Dame coming up. And some interesting matchups. Max, you had mentioned uh, just kind of being curious. And before we were recording the podcast, you were talking about some of the favorites out there. Let's start Friday at 7 p.m. Fox Sports 1. Colorado is a 20.5 point underdog going on the road into Autzen Stadium. And that that number first emerged at 14 but i'm always a little bit curious because i always use odd shark and odd shark sometimes that opening line might be like one place they found it at one moment in time but it seemed to have opened at 14 and i'm like scrambling to find where i can get that and then lo and behold like an hour later 20 and a half is what it actually opened with at bet online and a number of other books i guess we should start with colorado's uh game against arizona colorado 30 arizona 35 and I watched this entire game. It was, it was quite fascinating, very fun, very back and forth. But Max, I'm curious what you saw when you were watching Arizona go uh, to altitude and knock off the buffs. Well, I have to say, first off, what, who opened at 14? Because I, I mean, I, I usually I use circus sports out in Vegas and their openers for like official openers to look at just because they've been really setting the market this year for college football. And they opened it at 22. Oh, and okay. I currently see it at 21. So if, if, if a book actually opened that game at 14, fire your odds maker. <laughs> um, regarding, regarding Arizona, Colorado, or yeah. Uh, so really slow offensive start, but then <laughs> the big plays happened with like two started happening like two minutes to go in the first half. And, it, and Khalil Tate, I, I was really impressed with how he performed uh, I just feel like Colorado kind of that, that defense with all the injuries, they ran out of gas and the, I mean, it's, it's too bad because they do have some really talented pieces and they were, they were really resilient in their first couple of games. But if you lose that type of high end talent in Chenault and Mustafa Johnson, it, it's going to really be tough to compete even against an Arizona team that I think is fine, but it isn't uh, a true Pac-12 contender. So, I mean, and I, I was surpri- I was surprised that Colorado. Well, I guess like I was saying, with the injuries, like I was surprised that, that people were betting on this before the injuries were announced. But I saw that when Tate and Taylor were announced, they were playing, and Taylor didn't even really play all that much. That the betting market was just hammering Arizona, and I think that that game closed at two and a half, Colorado. So, yeah, a lot of explosive plays. Uh, in this game, which is kind of what I would have figured with Tate playing and with the state that the two defenses are in. 
And definitely a nice road win for Arizona. They're four and one. So they're one win away from matching uh, last year's total. And good game planning by the coach. One of the things that we had talked about on this podcast and Baderank has highlighted extensively is Colorado's just terrible, terrible pass defense. And when you compound the fact that they had a number of players injured in that secondary in this game as well, you had bad defense with with the people that weren't even able to make it onto the field playing in that bad defense in terms of pass coverage. And Arizona just gashed them. It was interesting. I was looking at Arizona's numbers in terms of their running. I mean, woof. Gary Brightwell, 11 for 27. Nathan Tilford, 5 for 23. And a couple of those were just touchdown runs. But really, Arizona ended up saying, like, we can throw against this team and let Khalil Tate sling it around. He was 31 for 40. 400 plus yards, three touchdowns, one terrible, terrible pick. Um, and, and he probably should have had two terrible, terrible picks. Those traditional Khalil Tate runs five yards, throws crossbody, jumps in the air and just prays to God that somebody gets it. Um, and lo and behold, uh, somebody did get it, but it was a Colorado player. But outside of those two plays, he really was able to show how talented he was uh, with the, through the air against a pretty bad pass defense. But still, you want to see those numbers if you're an Arizona fan. And here they are at four and one. Rob, what did you think? I thought it was a really, like, as you pointed out, and we had hammered on um, because a lot of folks in the Arizona media are just like, run the ball, run the ball. But this was not a team to try to run the ball on. Um, after Even after the game, Colorado comes out of the week at number 126 against the pass in beta rank, but number 45 against the run. Like So clearly it was not a good game to run the football. And, and Tate had a good game. I mean, other than the, you know, normal Khalil Tate interception like passes his uh he he was able to find routes that you don't always see Tate hit um and that that is that will be good I think if they can sort of extend that into the future but one of the sneaky things coming out of this game is Arizona's defense actually had a pretty good game and I know that that sounds weird because they gave up 35 points but Colorado has a good offense and Arizona had 10 Terrible field position in this game, uh, especially on defense. They were not set up well by their special teams. So out of this game, Arizona's defense comes out at 42, which is the highest they've been ranked in like almost seven years. Um, and they've been coming up as that Hawaii game sort of bleeds out. So Arizona's, I mean, what's really hurting them now is their special teams, but they're by no means a sort of Pac-12 contender, but they are a far more dangerous team, I think, than, I mean, beta rank's been off on them as that Hawaii game has sort of held them back. But uh, as that's sort of bleeding out of the model, like they've been rising and that defense has been rising and um, they, they sort of have figured out ways to do enough. Yeah. On the flip side, we have Cor- uh, Corgan, Oregon, 17, Cal, 7. And I watched a lot of this game and it is it is a wonderful feeling not have to sweat out a line <laughs> like I took Cal and I took the under and at the, no point max in this game were those bets. And I know you were on the, these as well. There was no point in this game where those were in trouble. And I and like you mentioned, because of a lot of the turnovers that happened in the red zone and some fumbles that happened on Oregon side for a while, it looked like Cal had an opportunity. And there's this one play where Modster had the ball. And it was they were in duck territory and it was third and six or third and seven. And he runs and he clearly gets the first down, except that he slid before the first down marker and they ended up a yard shy. Cal misses the field goal. And when that happened, I went, oh, Cal, like that was that was your chance because you're not going to get many more points on the board after this. And lo and behold, they didn't, Max. What what did Cal do that um, that really just put Oregon on its heels from basically all but 
I would say a third of the game. And then Oregon really started figuring it out and got it together on the offensive side. But I loved Oregon's defense. That's another story. But what stood out for you in this game? Well, I don't know. I like, I don't think it was really what Cal did. I think it was more what Oregon did to itself. So I, the, the turnovers definitely played a role because I'll admit I was sweating in the beginning when Oregon got to, because the first drive, they just ran the ball down their throats and yeah. they had this brutal penalty. And then that put them, I think it was second or third and long. And then Herbert threw that interception to Ashton Davis. And, and then after that, uh, die fumbled when he, when they went for it on fourth down and he was trying to extend to the marker and they knocked it out there. Like, like I, turnovers are not, they're not a consistent measure. And, and it's uh, turnover. I mean, Colorado was leading the country in turnovers forced uh, early on, and they only were able to force one against Arizona. I feel like that's kind of what was keeping that defense afloat was turnovers. And you saw that when they were struggling uh, with Arizona, like, they just weren't forcing any turnovers and that's where that defense got exposed. So with, with Cal, um, they, they, that's what kept that game afloat. What were the early turnovers and they did have one great drive, but then after that Oregon defense just shut them down. And I do, I actually, I really like Christopher Brown. He's, he's, he's a big back. He's tough to tackle, but I Oregon, uh, and, and Cal also, they lost, uh, I think they had two starting offensive linemen that were already out, uh, heading into this game and they lost two more that that offensive line is just now filled with backups and it's definitely tough against a talented Oregon front seven. If, if your offensive line is, is that unhealthy. Um, and then, or, and then like we were saying with the Oregon play calling, um, I mean, for, for the run game, it was nice to see Herbert keep a couple of those zone reads. Cause I, I think that that is something that uh, he'll be able to gain yards for just because of how often he's been giving it to the back on those but they averaged uh, 6.5 yards per throw and 4.8 yards per rush, yet they only threw it 33 times and they ran it 40 times. So it, it's just it's stubborn play calling. It's Mario Cristobal's uh, identity that he wants, just to you know, run it down your throat, physical football, when instead you have healthy wide receivers. And I was really, really impressed with Micah Pittman. Uh, Mike USC wide receiver, Michael Pittman's younger brother. I, I thought he looked great in his season debut. Breland is a matchup nightmare at tight end. And if CJ Verdell is out and that injury didn't look good, if he's out for a while, I think that they should be throwing the ball more uh, instead of trying to um, maintain this physical run game. So if Oregon like had, like if Oregon had strong play calling throughout the season, I, I think that this is a top 10 team, but the fact that, Arroyo is such a negative as offensive coordinator. I think that's what's holding this. It's interesting because you see the grumbles on Twitter and actually had somebody that is a really smart football fan tweet at me that (laughs) basically saying that Justin Herbert sucked. Like, what are you talking about? Like Justin Herbert is good. Justin Herbert has bad play callers. And, uh, and, and that's just, that that's just a fact. Like that guy can sling the ball. Is he a number one draft pick? Probably not. And did he have too much hype coming into last year? Yes, he did. But he's still an excellent quarterback and should be moving that offense. I absolutely agree with you. Rob, when you take a look at the matchup coming up, where does Colorado and where do Oregon place in general in beta rank? Yeah, so Oregon comes in right now at number 11. Um, they are uh, you know, really buoyed by their number two defense. They're at number 50 on offense. So like they have some things to figure out there, but I, I would say Herbert had a pretty good game against still an excellent Cal secondary. 
Um, Colorado's at number 64, 21 on offense, 108 on defense. Uh, really, really struggling on defense uh, there for the Buffaloes. And you you saw that in that game uh, against Arizona, whereas Arizona was just able to light them up through the air. Um, Beta Rank has this as Oregon has a 92% win probability, and it has them right around where Vegas has it as a, a, a 21.74 favorite for the Ducks. Max, outside of turnovers, what does Colorado need to do to stay within that 20 and a half point spread? Uh, they're going to have to score points on offense because I have much more faith in that unit than I do in the defense, even though I think Oregon's defense is better than their offense this season. But especially if, if they can get LaVishka Chenault back, um, that would be a, a major help. But also, I mean, Colorado's had some trick plays that have really worked, like uh, Katie Nixon yeah. had an amazing throw against Arizona that ended up in a touchdown on a, on a reverse pass. And who can forget that flea flicker from, from your own one-yard line against Nebraska? So definitely, I, I mean, uh, Jay Johnson – I, I think we might, I might've criticized him too heavily in the beginning of the year, but you just, you, with, with the talent that you have at wideout and with Montez at quarterback, I, I don't think this is a game where you can establish the run. I, I think that you should come up with some more creative play calling and, and try it and air it out as much as possible. Yeah. What's Rob, what's Oregon's past defense ranking? So this is this is a really fun matchup, actually. So this is the number four defensive effective pass versus the number eight offensive effective pass in beta rank. So this is a definitely a game to watch because Oregon has been fairly consistent in the secondary for some guys that I think last year we weren't necessarily sure that they were going to take the step forward. They definitely have. Um, and they're they're going to have their hands full, you know, especially if Chenault plays. But you know, Brown and Nixon have had some games, and if Chenault plays, it's going to be uh, it's going to be quite the, the show there. Because Montez, he he looked a little off. I think Marcel Yates ha- has started to figure out some confusing coverages um, that can help, even though he doesn't have much of a pass rush going there. But Montez, he's going to have to get the ball. He's going to have to a lot to be a lot sharper than he was against Arizona. I want to say that Nixon got banged up. I'll have to go back and look at that because um, they haven't updated all the injury reports. Like I try to, I try to look at those before we record every week, and it's just tough because we do it on a Sunday. Um, so we'll make sure to tweet that out if Nixon's out as well. Oh, I was just going to say one more thing. It's interesting though that um, this is easily going to be Oregon's toughest test, just because they played Bo Nix in his debut in Week One. And then they played uh, Nevada and Montana and then Stanford with a hurt KJ Costello and then Devin Monster. So I think Montez is a big upgrade from that. So no, I agree with, I think that this could be a fascinating matchup and, and we'll see, we'll see if Oregon's uh, secondary can, you know, step up when they're facing a different caliber of quarterback and receiver. It seems like they'll be able to hold Colorado. Let's pretend that they hold them to 17. My biggest question is how many points can Oregon score with just this, this this atrocious play calling? I don't know. Like they should be able to stop on Colorado, right? Like they have the talent. Um, I, I, they have the quarterback and I just don't know. And like you mentioned with CJ Verdell out, uh, I don't know. 20 and a half seems a lot, Rob, I'm going to throw it to you first. Who are you taking? I mean, I, it's tough because as you mentioned, like Oregon grades out, I don't know why they keep trying to run the ball. They're at 73 in effective rush. Colorado's at 45 in effective rush. They're at 126 in effective pass. Oregon's at 28 in effective pass. Just throw the ball in this game. Like don't be an idiot and you will win by four touchdowns. Um, I don't know. I don't necessarily trust 
I don't trust Crystal Ball and Arroyo not to be idiots, I guess. Like, I'm going to take Colorado, but I'm probably going to change my mind. <laughs> what do you think, Max? 20 and a half. Woo, that's a lot. Oh, man. I, I have, I mean, I'm going, I'm going Oregon here. Um, I, I just think that this matchup, like with the Cal Oregon, I, I just thought that that wasn't a good matchup because I thought that Cal would slow the game down and, and so, and Oregon would too. Colorado, you have to air it out. And if they don't, I uh, like just just send Marcus Arroyo to the Sun if they, if they don't <laughs> air it out often. Um, yeah, I, I I mean definitely at under three touchdowns. I, I think it's Oregon. Um, I yeah I I think that Oregon just blows them out. And this is kind of like a Nevada two point Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, I'm gonna take Colorado, and I don't like it, but I just. I don't trust this coaching staff to score enough points to stomp on a team like Colorado. And I'll probably regret that, but I'll take the points. It's a lot. And uh, the problem is Colorado's so banged up. So I understand the risk that I'm taking with that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, it seemed like they, the backups were at least trying in regards to they're putting up a fight. Obviously the secondary is a mess and let's find out if Arroyo is willing to throw it into that secondary. So with that, let's move on to Saturday, 1230 at Pac-12 network. Washington state is a two and a half point fa- I'm sorry, two and a half point dog on the road at Arizona state. And both these teams were off. So we don't have a game to break into, but let's, let's talk some advanced stats here with both these guys. I think the biggest story before we do that is Tracy Clay is the defensive coordinator for Washington State flat out just quit after those two uh, games and so I don't know who's calling the plays I hope it's not Mike Leach because Mike he's terrible at it in terms of a defensive focus but um, actually let me throw that to you first Max what how on earth do you cap a team that just fired the defensive coordinator and you have no idea I'm sure we know who's going to be calling the plays but um, doesn't seem like it's anybody too promising right now yeah, and no, I definitely think it's nice that they had a buy, so that way they could adjust to the changes. But yeah, for, I mean, first team or first game with a new defensive coordinator—that that's never easy. Um, but this game is interesting to me just because you would assume that the best uh, way to defend the air raid is by running the three-three-five, which is what Arizona State has. And I mean, just looking at um, the numbers for long explosive. Uh, rush plays and long explosive pass plays allowed Arizona state's really good at limiting explosive runs, but limiting explosive passes has been a completely different story. And I was surprised to see that because at first I I thought I was going to end up taking ASU as the favorite. And I don't, I, I kind of, I like this matchup for Washington state. Uh, The defense has major questions and they're definitely going up against an improved uh, Arizona State offensive line, and I'm really scared about them trying to tackle Eno Benjamin. But I don't know Arizona State. Like what 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 I've been harping on this pod, it's one of those teams where you fade them as a favorite and you back them as an underdog. And I I, I just think with Washington State, two losses, and, and they were outclassed in the Utah one. They were embarrassed in, in the choke job against UCLA, and now they have a bye to recoup. Uh, against a, a pass defense, even though it's three three five, that is very uh, average at limiting explosive plays uh, through the air. Uh, I'll go. I'll go with the Kooks here. Okay, let's talk a little bit about Arizona State because we haven't been covering it as much in, in the past. Like, clearly, they've had some decent wins. 
I tend to lean towards Washington State because I always lean towards Washington State, Rob. But I, I really would like to see the advanced metrics here because clearly Herm has something going there in Tempe. That's a team that's starting to, to figure out what, they, what they're doing. But that secondary, I'm so worried, like Max had mentioned, about giving up explosive plays in the past defense. What, where are they on the defensive side and where are they in general in, in beta rank? So, Brian, I have, I have news. Washington State's defense is one of three Pac-12 defenses in triple digits. They are at 100 in beta rank. Oh. Um, they are uh, they what they really 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 suck at most is negative drives. They don't cause three and outs. They don't cause turnovers. They they grade out at 126 there. Um, they are at 67 against the rush, but they are at 120 against the pass. Um, and Arizona State. They've been, they've been, they, they, I think they still want to establish this identity as a run team. They definitely found it a little bit more of their groove with that, with Cal. Um, they're 78 running the ball, number 36 throwing the ball, however. Um, and they're at number 62 on offense. They're, so the, these teams, like the model really does like the sun levels here uh, at home. It's got them as just over nine, 9.02, uh, 0.02 uh, favorite. I'm sorry. There are 74% win probability in this oh, wow. game. The, the, the tough thing for Washington state here is that, I mean, it's, can you put up enough points to really keep up with what Arizona state's probably going to do against your defense? Cause with that, with those numbers covering the past, I mean, Iuk Darby Williams, I mean, Yikes! They could have a field day. Yeah, but all, but it's also State. Daniels. I mean, I'm I'm with you. I, it is. I, I am a, like I am all in on the wide receiving core of, of Arizona State, also Washington State, but, but Arizona State as well. I just don't know if Daniels is going to be you know stepping on the throat and they're going to drop 35 on Washington State. I don't. As bad as that defense is, we've talked this whole podcast about. Herm Edwards keeping things close and just trying to play to win the game and running the ball a lot. Like, I think we're going to see a lot of Eno Benjamin in this game. And if that's the case, that's got to favor Washington State, right? At least if, if you're the opposing coaching staff. But I would say maybe, I don't know. I'm not, I, I'm not taking the Cougs in this game. Um, I, I think it's a mess. You know, your defensive coordinator quitting midseason because it's, it's really so bad and that there's, there's no likelihood of turning it around. I mean, Washington State's offense grades out at 18, but Arizona State's defense grades out at 15. Um, and where they struggle, where where Arizona State struggles is on drive efficiency. So they're, they are pretty good at containing explosive drives. Um, they're pretty good at cre- you know creating ex- uh, negative drives, number 10 and number 14 in those categories. But what I think that they really struggle with is that they you can put together long drives against them. Washington State just doesn't do that. They're they're at 115 in drive efficiency. They're they're pretty much all big plays. They grade out at number five in explosive drive. So you're gonna like Washington State's gonna have to put up big plays. I think they can. I mean, I think this offense is good. Can they hang with Arizona State though? Um, that I don't know. Like like Arizona State, I I, I like them in this game um, and against this line. I'll go with the numbers. I just one more question here with you is Arizona State's. Pass defense. What is it? One more time. Arizona. I have it right in front of me. Arizona State's pass defense grades out at twenty-two. Washington State, of oh. course, grades out at number three. I mean, one yeah. of the best in the country throwing the ball. Um, I I like though. I mean, Danny Gonzalez. Like I I like I like him to put pressure on um, 
on the quarterback. And I don't know if Gordon has had some moments where that can, you know, but he's, he's not Minshew 2.0 back there. Um, and I, I think, you know, that, that he could have some moments that really hurt the kooks here. Yeah. He's looked great. And then Utah made him look just sub subpar. I mean, not just from a Washington state standpoint, but it's like, Oh my, that, that does not, uh, that was not the Aaron Gordon I had in my head going into that game. And I had bet on that game. So, all right, I'll, I'll trust the numbers on this time. I'll take uh, Arizona state a little bit begrudgingly, oh. but you know, I'm on, yeah, what were then, you going to say Max? Oh, I was going to say two other things. So uh, Arizona state, they really struggled uh, when they played Colorado and Tempe with Colorado going up tempo. And obviously that that's Washington State's bread and butter. So I think that's something to watch. And then, yeah, no, I mean, just with the line, I feel like the line itself, since it's two and a half, they're really the bookmakers. And in that game, I opened at one at Circa. I think the bookmakers are daring you to take Arizona State. Mm-hmm. The fact that you're, you're thinking like, oh, I only need a field goal to win this. And I mean, that's not, that's honestly like part of it, just looking at the line itself. So. Yeah, no, just two more points for me. Yeah, that's good. Not feeling great about that pick. The one other thing to your point, Max, or, or to, to counter the, your point would be Colorado went up-tempo and Arizona State wasn't expecting that. That was like the one of the things that they were doing is they are like, all right, let's get this going. And then they tried to adapt True. and all that stuff. So th- that will be expected coming in here. That doesn't mean they won't struggle against it though, like they did with Colorado. So, all right, I'll, I'll take the numbers. I'll go, with, uh, I'll go with Arizona State. Let's move on to a game. Yeah, let's put this game at the end. Let's let's stick in the Pac-12. Saturday, five o'clock p.m. on the Pac-12 Network. Utah is a fourteen-point favorite. Favorite on the road, going to Corvallis against Oregon State. Oregon State, of course, coming off of a big win against UCLA on the road, dropping a forty-eight burger on UCLA's defense. And uh, and like we had mentioned, Rob, when beat writers are telling teams to run the ball against UCLA's defense, you should immediately say, "Please, please stop." <laughs> um, and here's uh, here's Exhibit A: Jake Luton, eighteen for twenty-six. 285, but five touchdowns against UCLA's defense. And he also had 27 on the ground and a touchdown. So six total touchdowns for Jake Luton. You know who can be stopped? Isaiah Hodgins, 10 for 123 and three touchdowns. The rest of the team had eight receptions total. <laughs> Hodgins had 10. Um, just had himself a heck of a game, and, and there was no answer really from Adazio or the uh, the defensive staff over at UCLA. Um, aside from the, oh my goodness, uh, we anticipated this happening, but it was still really fascinating to see it happen in real time. Max, what else jumped out for you when you were looking at this game for Oregon state UCLA Yeah. or, uh, I mean, so I guess what I was harping on with the pod was that, or last week when we were previewing was Oregon state had really strong tackle for loss numbers and UCLA did not. So I just felt that there would be a much better chance that Oregon State, since they were able to get or generate negative plays on defense, um, that they'd be able to get force UCLA in the second and third and longs more often, and that would be a better chance of getting UCLA off the field. And then also um, with Dorian Thompson-Robinson uh, at the time, like I think he was questionable, but I, I kind of read it that he, he was doubtful to play. And Burton actually, I, Burton played pretty well, uh, and he he ran the ball a decent amount too. I think he had like 15, 16 carries, but still not the threat that DTR was. And, and I think he averaged like under six yards of pass uh, against Oregon State's defense, which is which I guess is pretty <laughs> lackluster. But no, Oregon State. It was. Uh, I mean, preseason, I was pretty high on them. I actually made their when I did the Pac-12 win total best bets for SI. I made their uh, win total, which was 
over two, my best bet. And so we already didn't lose that one, which is nice. Um, but I, I just think that the defense, it's still bad, but it's not, his, it's not historically bad like it was last year. And that's allowed them to stay competitive in a lot of these games. And, and the offense has, has made a jump. Like I, I think Isaiah Hodgkins, he, he could be an all American. Like he's, he's definitely first team all pack 12 so far. Um, Artavis Pierce has really stepped up. I feel like Jamar Jefferson has, has been kind of, he got injured earlier in the season. And I feel like now that they're facing the ball more through Pierce and the offensive line is good. I thought it was ridiculous that Oregon State's well fans or some of their fans want uh, Luton Bench because he's he's looked competent at quarterback, and that's really all you can ask for. Um, so I, I really like the offense. They've also benefited a lot from the schedule they faced. Like they played Oklahoma State, they played Holt, they played Cal Poly, they played Stanford, they played UCLA. Those are not the best of defenses. And so it's definitely going to be a major step up facing Utah. Yeah, to your point, Max, the defense for Oregon State, three sacks, eight tackles for a loss. They definitely were putting the pressure on uh, the entire backfield for UCLA, and that will likely continue as Chip Kelly starts to put the pieces together if he can. Is this broken, Rob? Like UCLA, are they? is this the end of the Chip Kelly era? I mean, it is. somebody had tweeted out, like, Jonathan, Jonathan Smith and... Chip Kelly have the same, the same record right now. Um, and when you just take a look at the discrepancy between the talent that they had acquired, the talent that they can acquire, the money available for those programs, like it is unacceptable. And there's a lot of questions that Chip Kelly, uh, what is, what, what do you think, Rob? Is, is he gone? He looks like is he's he, checked is he out. Tanking? I mean, is he tanking? Thinking <laughs> that there's like a number one draft pick at the end of this? Because if it's un, it's, it's truly unbelievable to have, I mean, to have, have run out a team this bad, given, given still the talent level. Because when you go through that UCLA roster, sure, there's definitely some island of misfit toys, you know, components to it. But those toys are still far better recruits and, you know, we're far better physical talents than a lot of rosters have on them. And I think if you went around the Pac-12, there are a lot of coaches that would trade rosters with Chip Kelly. Um, that said, I mean, I don't know what's like, I, I am, I don't think Azanaro's ever going to get that defense necessarily turned around. I don't have a lot of faith in that, but it's, it's shocking to see them at 58 and beta rank on offense. That's just not where you expect Chip Kelly to be They're They're currently at 77, the worst team in the Pac-12 right now in beta rank. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be rough for for the Bruins. I, I think I'm I I don't I don't know that it's going to get any better for them. I mean they're 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 good enough to, to to steal some 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 games out there, but other than Colorado, they've already played everybody else that's really kind of towards the bottom of the back the you know the, the Pac-12. So they're not going to have a bunch of easy games out there. They're, I mean maybe Stanford. You know, like maybe that's a game they could pull out and win. Like it could be a very bad stretch to end the season. Yeah, it's pretty rough. Now, I know that we don't have a ton of UCLA listeners, but I do know. So we have a lot of Utah listeners and we basically laid off of them for the last uh, last week because they had a buy. Let's spend some time to dive into what this team looks like from an advanced metrics standpoint. Rob, where does Utah rank and where do they grade out in beta rank right now? So Utah is currently at 26. Um 
it's interesting. Their offense really sort of, I think they sort of woke up that, that loss at, at USC sort of woke them up a bit. Um, they grade out at number 17 right now. Andy Ludwig starting to get it rolling. It looks like a typical Andy Ludwig offense. They're not great at drive efficiency. They're at number 59, but they are pretty good at explosive plays. Number 29. Um, and they don't go three and out very often. They grade out at number seven there. Um, they're far better running the ball. Um, they grade out at number 18 there. Not all that surprising given who they have their their backs. But it's not just their backs. Like Ludwig, it almost looks like a, a triple option offense with the sort of uh, the handoffs that you have coming to the, the guys lining up in the slot. Um, they're number 45 throwing the ball. It's a little surprising, I would say, that, that the defense isn't a little better. But I think and I'll say that, like, I, I think I had a little, a little too much faith, perhaps. Um, and an eye. I mean, they're 26. So they're not bad. Or no, I'm sorry. They're 38. So they're not terrible. But I was expecting them to be better. What, what really stands out is they're at number 99 in drive efficiency. It, you can put together drives against this defense. They don't give up explosive plays. I mean, to their credit, they're great out at number 13 there. Um but if 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 you if you can put together and string together good you know uh, you know good plays and good drives like you can put up points on this defense um, and they're number nineteen against the rush I think their defensive line really does them some service there but they only grade out at sixty eight against the pass they've really got some work to do on the back end of that secondary and then this is not a vintage this is just this is not a vintage Whittingham special teams they grade out at one oh six. That's really hurting them. They need to they need to clean that up uh, considerably and get better there. Yeah. With that said, I mean, I I still think they're the favorites for the Pac-12 South. They have a chance. Yeah, absolutely. Of, you know, it'd be interesting to see how they match up against Oregon. Um, we'll get there. We'll cross that bridge if they get there. But you had mentioned that their weakness right now is in the secondary. I would I would assume that they jumped up pretty high after that Washington State game because they looked great at making you know covering those Washington State wide receivers and making Gordon have to to make decisions quickly. You know, and that's what he does anyway. But they were just at least able to put some pressure on him, even though he gets the ball out so quick. So fourteen points is. That's a lot of points on the road against That's any too many points. conference team. Yeah, so I was wondering, Max, do you feel the same? What do you think about this matchup? I mean, I just think, and and try, I I love I love this Oregon State team. They they, they are I'm three and zero betting on them this season, but I just I don't love the spot. Like you're coming off uh, first Pac-12 win um, since the Colorado game. And I think I think it was their first Pac-12, or I think it was their first Pac-12 win in regulation in like in, in a couple years as well. I think it, um, I think since that Oregon game a few years ago that was the case. Um, and now you're facing and and they and they looked good against Stanford. They looked good against UCLA, uh, and they looked good against Hawaii. And and I I'm not really a believer in any of those teams. Uh, and then you and then Utah. I mean, I, they're one of the best coach teams in the Pac-12. Um, if not the country and Kyle Whittingham with extra days of prep is usually pretty money. Uh, that's why his bowl, like his bowl record being what it is. It, it's, it's really a testament to how good he is with, with a lot of time to prepare. And so I think this is kind of a sell high spot for Oregon state for me. So I'm going to take the youth and I, and I, and I hate how many favorites I'm taking this week. Hate it. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the look, you know, the letdown spot. 
that, that was a big win. Regard, you know, it doesn't matter if it's UCLA for Oregon State to go on the road and win that game was a big deal for them. And then the, the bye week. I, I'm glad you mentioned that, Max, because I totally forgot about that. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give the points. I think, I think this, this screams, oh no, <laughs> for Oregon State. The one thing that I do give them credit for, is the fact that um, I think Oregon State can pass on the secondary, but if you take a look at that last game against Washington State, I loved the change that Whittingham made from the the USC game where he's like, we will press these wide receivers all day, and then, oh no, we've given up a, a lot of yards and big plays to them, to really adjusting against Washington State and putting together a defensive game plan that just shut that offense down. That was a stomping of Washington State. Um, I, I think they do the same here with uh, with Luton and company as much as I like Oregon State I will um, I will give those points and take Utah and and I hope they win I mean we really do need like a really premier team and Utah hopefully they continue to to grab some momentum from that Washington State game but Rob it looks like you are going to give the points uh yeah beta rank only has Utah as a four-point favorite uh oh my here. goodness I yeah this Whoa. is this is a yeah Oregon like people are People, I think, are overreacting to how bad UCLA is. UCLA is. Um, Oregon State absolutely has a terrible defense. I fully expect Utah to put up points in this game, but I also expect Oregon State to put up points in this game because they have put up points on everyone. Um, and Mahal, Jim Mahalchuk, who is their offensive line coach, has done a really terrific job with that Beaver offensive line. I, I think Oregon State loses the game, but um, loses by less than two touchdowns. Woo! Dissension in the I ranks. Like that- the total open for this game at 62 and a half. That is a lot of points. 62. And, and, and I get it just because 62 points. And you think Utah is going to, Oh man, like that's like, I, I don't like if I was going to set the line that high, I don't know if I would, or the over under that high. I don't know that I would have Utah by two touchdowns then. Huh? Okay. Well, we'll find out. We'll find out. Like, <laughs> and you're, and you're right. Like at the, you had mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, like, all of these games are going to be interesting, basically, from, you know, except for UCLA versus anybody. But um, but this will be really fun to to uh, watch. And uh, we'll see if if Utah can take care of business on the road. We have two more games and let's get to them right after this. I'm Alex Rodriguez and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, we're back. Washington fans, we didn't forget you. We didn't forget you. Um, rough loss. Now you got to go to the desert to play Arizona and Washington has not traditionally played well in the desert, whether it's in Tempe or Tucson. And this is still a really talented team. Uh, a young is interesting. Somebody was talking about their defense being a veteran defense. And I'm like, what are you talking what? about? Yeah, it was, it was one of the announcers. So like, are you kidding me? This is like the, the, this is the defense of tomorrow, not the defense of today is what, what they have right now, particularly in the secondary. But with all that said, Ben Rod Gilmore. Oh God, stabbing me in the heart. Yeah, I love that guy. But uh, <laughs> um, so Washington plays at eight o'clock p.m. 
Not certain what station this is on yet, but they are a six and a half point favorite going into Tucson against Arizona. And let's talk a little bit about this loss here. Stanford 23, Washington 13. Jacob Eason, 16 to 36 with a touchdown and interception. And I believe, Max, and you probably know better than any of us do, that I think Eason's only thrown one touchdown against a power five opponent. Is that correct? Whoa. Well, I mean, I... Let's see. He's only played three games against Power Five. But let's see. Well, yeah, because he didn't throw one against Cal. Um, and then USC, I he, I think he didn't throw any against USC. So yeah, no, that yeah, he didn't throw any against USC. So no, I I believe it. I know it's only three teams. That's just a, and good defenses for. I mean, kind of, we we can we can debate USC, and and I'm probably on the opposite side of that, but at least talented players on that USC defense. Um, and uh, like that front seven of Stanford looked really good. And I don't know if, the, if Rob, that was the Washington state offensive line that made them look really good, but my goodness, they were able to pressure uh, Eason and make him look bad and stuff some of those runs. And um, I don't, I, I don't know what to make. I don't know what to make of that game. Was it just a fluke Stanford winning, you know, having their one moment in the sun? Or is this is this more red flags for a Washington team that um, that has the talent, but certainly has some youth as well? It was a it was a bit of a face plan from Washington. The the model did not grade that game out and give Stanford a massive bump on defense. So they Stanford's defense grades out at 72 after that game um, there, they do grade out significantly better than where they were grading against the past. So they do get a bump there. So they're up to 96 there and they were up in the, you know, 113 range uh, coming into the game. But it's odd because everybody, uh, everybody threw on Stanford and they were not afraid of throwing it at Evo. Um, Washington certainly did not. (laughs) They, they really struggled. They ran the ball pretty well when they did run the football. It's, it's interesting when you see that Easton stat line, um, and then you look down and like the, the, the running backs, you know, were able to put up a decent amount, you know, per carry, they really should have run the ball more than 22 times in the game. Um, given given the way things were going, but they really decided to stick with Easton and and trust him to win the game for them, and it it really did not work. Max, any other thoughts on Stanford Washington? It's just ugh, like that. That's such a well, I mean, such a gut wrenching loss. Like if if you're a Washington fan, because the expectations were high. Yeah, and I actually I don't think that this was a fluke at all. If anything, Stanford could have won by more if, if David yeah. Shaw understood math. Because Stanford uh, kicked the field goal twice on fourth and goal from the two. And That's right. I so, forgot about that. Yeah, no, if, if anything, Stanford probably should have won by more than 10 points. And no, I'm with Rob. I, I think this was just a total face plant job by Washington. Because I, I'm not a big believer in, in Stanford, but they totally play, outplayed Washington in that game. Stanford um, ran for 189. against. I mean, Stanford hasn't run the ball well all season. Yeah, years. <laughs> Last crazy. year they sucked, man. And it's Scarlet, right? It, it's not like this was Bryce Love in 2017. You know, like oh yeah, he'll get his. Like Cameron Scarlet's fine, but he's not. He's not going to blow the world on fire. And and that that was the case in this game. It seemed like he it was five yards, five yards, five yards. Five, like it wasn't like he was exploding. It's like oh, 25 yards from Cameron Scarlet here, and oh, a 50 yard run. It just seemed like they were just grinding. Max, was that was that your impression? 
Well, I, I think what Stanford did really well early in the game before, well, I mean, Mills played a lot of the game before he got hurt, but they had, they implemented like a lot of play action, a good amount of screens. And I think that really, you know, threw Washington's defense off. And so I think with the put, with the success with play action, and, and it's kind of telling that Mills had 9.8 yards per attempt, uh, they were able to run the ball. Uh, effectively just because, you know, Washington had their ears up thinking, Oh, this could be probably another play action. And, and Scarlett ran really hard. Like there were some plays where he was like stopped, like maybe after a yard, but he was grinding and got a few extra yards, especially on a couple key uh, conversions for first downs. So I, I, I just think that Washington's defense was just thrown off and I mean, they, they had that one brutal busted coverage um, where Stanford yeah. got a long touchdown. Yeah. And, um, I mean, I, I think that I like Washington, like Washington under 10 was my other PAC 12 best bet. So it's not like I was really high on this team, but I don't think that they're uh, nearly as bad as what they showed against Stanford. And I know that the road woes are going to be a topic of discussion, especially with how they've played in Ari- in the state of Arizona. But this, kind of screams by low spot to me. Mm, yeah, I want to get into that. One one highlight for Washington fans and then one just brutal injury. But Levi uh, Onwuzarike, that guy ran down one of the Stanford <laughs> running backs. And I was like, my dear sweet Moses, that, that guy is awesome. Um, and he's always been an athletic freak. And it was just fun to watch that play where he just is just trekking down and ends up getting the guy. It was, it was really impressive. Um, the, the one other thing though, is uh, Richard Newton, who is the freshman running back that I really liked. I thought he runs hard. He's a big guy. Like I, I think he's going to be somebody that will be a running back at Washington for a number of years that people will remember. Um, I just, he, he really has showed out. But it looked like he broke his leg. I mean, he was walking off the field without any pressure on it. I think it was his left leg as he left. And that was just a bummer because he was very promising and was one of the bright spots in that game. Rob, what what do your numbers say here? Because I Max seems like he's going to want to take Washington um, in Tucson. I... I just, I can never pick Arizona. Like I, I, for whatever reason, I'm just such a jaded fan (laughs) like of Arizona football. It's really difficult for me to pick uh, Arizona games. Um, But I do know I've just seen Washington play poorly over and over and over again uh, in the desert, but I'm sure the math doesn't show that. So what, what, how do these teams match up? So it's the number 19 team in beta rank versus the number 48 team. Uh, So Washington is the higher ranked team there. Beta Rank sees this uh, as, as a game that Washington definitely should win. They, they have a 74% win probability, but they're only a four-and-a-half-point favorite in the model in this game. Um, and I, that, a lot of that, of course, is Arizona gets the home field advantage. When you look at this on a, a team basis, like a, what, they're, what they're really good at, Washington's offense grades out at 28 you know, they're 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 not great at drive efficiency. It's something they definitely have to work on. They have to be better at putting together long drives. It's something they struggled with last season. They're they're okay. They're better at explosive plays. They're at number forty one there. What they're good at is they don't go they don't go three and out or turn the ball over a lot. So that's a bonus there. So they they grade out twelve there. They're they're a balanced offensive team. Um, and I think this is something that, that Peterson, you know, tends to lean into a little bit. They're number 36 rushing the ball, number 32 throwing the ball. They're going against an Arizona defense that is number 41 in effective rush. And they're number 53 against the pass. Um, Arizona's 
had numbers against the run have significantly improved as well as uh, against the pass, you know, since that Hawaii game came off the books, um, Arizona's at number 42. They, they, they really started to, I mean, you could say bear down. They've gotten a lot better at, um, containing explosive drives. So they graded out at number 34 there. What they really stink at is they're, they're number 72 at creating three and outs and getting turnovers at negative drives. So it's something they really have to clean up there. I think though, that if, if this game is going to really be pac 12 after dark, um, and this is like way after dark. <laughs> hey, PM. Hey. Yeah. It's going to be, um, it's going to have to be Khalil Tate. Um, so this is the number 38 offense uh, against the number 30 defense. Uh, Arizona is absolutely terrible at drive efficiency. They are all big plays. So they, they're, they're great at number 42 and explosive drives. They're number seven in, in play efficiency. Um, and they don't go three and out very often. So they're number 14 there, which really helps things out because their, their special teams haven't been great. So they do need to avoid three and outs to, to not get their defense in bad field position. They are number 35 throwing the ball, and that is two very good performances back-to-back from Gunnell and Tate sort of shifting this, uh, this uh, how this offense works away from the run a little bit. Um, Washington's 25 against the pass. They're number 37 against the run. I would say Arizona might have to lean into the run a little bit here and be able to have Tate run the football with, you know, accepting the, the, the chance that he might end up taking an injury in this game. But, I mean, if we think back to the times that Washington has really struggled against Arizona, it's usually when they have uh, the Arizona's dual threat quarterback, you know, has a big game. And I, I don't think Arizona is good enough to win without a, a big game, you know, taking care of the football from Tate, both throwing and running. Ugh. That makes a more compelling case for Arizona on my end, but um, I don't know. Like the the one thing that really holds me back is Khalil Tate in big games. Traditionally, not great. Not like tends to want to do too much. And if you watch that Colorado game, the run back turn cross body through the air, like I think he's going to have one or two of those. And it's just whether or not they get picked off or not. Yeah, I, Max, I know you're leaning towards towards Washington. Why is that the case? No, I, like I, like what I said before, I, I just think this is a buy low spot for Washington. Um, the odds makers opened this game, I, I think at nine. I, I could check, but it was definitely higher in the public bet it down just because obviously Washington has the late game. That was like the, the one major late game on. So a lot of people, I would think, who watch college football, like saw um, Washington really struggle against Stanford. I just think... I think Arizona's defense is definitely very susceptible to explosive plays. And so I think that Easton can definitely take advantage. And I also think Washington's defensive coordinator, Jimmy Lake is one of the best in business and that he'll find a way to slow down Tate and Arizona's offense. Okay. All right. Um, I'll, I'll take the points. I'll take Arizona in this game and I'll also do it begrudgingly. There aren't a lot of lines this week where I'm super excited about, but, uh, and we have one more. Anything else on Arizona, Washington, before we jump to USC, Notre Dame? No, I'm good. No. All right. Well, Saturday, 4.30 p.m. on NBC, USC is an 11.5-point dog on the road at Notre Dame. And I've watched a lot of USC Max, but certainly not as much USC as you have. And I have not watched a lick of Notre Dame. I know that you have a much broader perspective of the college football landscape. Without knowing anything about Notre Dame, I would immediately want to take Notre Dame, <laughs> but I don't know a ton about them or how they match up against USC. What do you see here? Well, I, I guess like first glance at this line, 
is that I, I would think that the public would think that this line is low. And I, I don't blame, like, like I, I don't know, like Notre Dame, like they, they look good against Georgia. Uh, they, they, they actually had a chance to win that game, even though I feel like Georgia was just trying to like, like they, they were like a, a snake, like, um, giving Notre Dame like a slow death, something like that. And, and it actually almost backfired, but I, I thought Georgia was the better team, but Notre Dame played a lot better than I thought in that one. And then, um, and then USC, I mean, their last game was Washington. And I think, I think, well, I know, I know I definitely took uh, Washington uh, as a, as the favorite there. I think you guys did too. But what I was really alarmed by with that game was I didn't even think Washington played that well. And they still won that game easily. They won, they won by 14. Uh, that USC has a buy, but that doesn't really mean anything with Clay Helton as your coach. Um, and, and it'll, and it'll be interesting to see, because I mean, I, I Slovis, I think should play. He's listed as questionable, but he's definitely an upgrade over Fink. The problem, is, I mean, the problem with USC is, is their defense is it's really bad at limiting explosive plays. Uh, it just seems like every third and long they 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 somehow give one up, and and one thing that I think uh, that was screaming regression for USC was that they at least before the Washington game, I'm not so sure anymore now, but they were the leading Power Five team in opponent red zone trips allowed per game, but. They didn't, re- but they were a really good uh, bend don't break defense because they their touchdown uh, percentage allowed in the red zone was really good, and that's something that could really cost them against really good teams like Notre Dame. Uh, I just I, I look at Notre Dame's numbers; they are tied for eighth in the country of uh, scrimmage plays that go for at least twenty yards, and they're tied with the likes of Alabama and LSU. So you wouldn't think that this is a very explosive offense, but um, Notre Dame has been. And I think that's really uh, bad for USC defense uh, that's really struggled um, limiting the big play. And they definitely get, uh, well, besides Slovis, I mean, they didn't have their amazing safety, Talano Hufanga against Washington. They didn't have Elijah Griffin, their top cornerback against Washington. But I just feel like the jump from Washington to Notre Dame, it's, it's even, that's even a jump. So I feel like this is a trap. I think that the odds makers want you to take Notre Dame. And I definitely wouldn't be surprised to see USC uh, get off to a good start. That just seems to usually be a theme with USC. Like they'll get off to a good start and then implode later. Um, but I, I, I think I lean Notre Dame in this game. You got Slovis on the road. And certainly didn't look great against BYU. They were able to do a lot of stuff that confused him. It's been now four weeks since he came came off of his Tom Brady game <laughs> against Utah. Um, what do the numbers say here, Rob? Because I really want to take Notre Dame. But I also like this is a rivalry game. I know USC is going to get there. They're going to be hyped up. There's a lot. This is the backs of the wall. You know, look what everybody's writing about us, blah, blah, blah. I could see a scenario where they don't win, but they lose by nine or lose by 10 and Clay Helton or, or lose by five. And Clay Helton's like, well, we, we gave it a good college try. Like, keep me around. So I'm, I'm wondering what the math says though. So Notre Dame comes at number 18. Uh, USC is number 31. Notre Dame has a 66% win probability in this game. They're a seven and a half, just over seven and a half point favorite in beta rank. What I like about this game, if you're an Irish fan, I guess is Notre Dame's defense. 
Um, their offense, though, isn't great. Um, their offense comes in at number 37. USC is number 40. Um, Notre Dame's had some big plays, but against some really, really bad competition. So they're number 56 in explosive drives. Um, they're, they don't really grade out well at all running the football. Number 62, USC is number 39 stopping that. But Notre Dame's been better throwing the football, number 26. And USC, not great there, number 45. Um, but I it's not it's it's one of those ones where I think when you look at these two units, you, this Notre Dame offense isn't going to overwhelm you unless they have great field position. Um, if you flip it to the other side of the ball, that's where I think you sort of you feel good if you're an Irish fan. Uh, their defense comes in at number 13. You can drive on them. They're, they're great out at number 81 in drive efficiency. So if you can put together a big, you know, a long drive, you can get points. Um, you have to be highly efficient because they're number 10 at containing explosive drive. So that's that's a big thing for me in this game is that if USC has made their their hay offensively with big plays, they're, they're at number 24 in explosive drives. That I, I don't know. I mean, if we saw it against Washington, Washington consistently dropped eight, gave up. I mean, USC ran ran the ball really well at Washington, but it was because Washington's defense allowed that to happen and really took away the pass from Fink. Um, I think Notre Dame probably. Like, I, I would hope with a bye week, USC has time to come up with something else. Um, we'll see. And Notre Dame forces a ton of three and outs. They're at number nine and in, in three and outs and turnovers. Uh, with uh, negative drives, USC grades out at 71 there. I mean, they they can get themselves off the field pretty quickly. Notre Dame's at 12 against the pass. That's really USC's strength. They're number 11 there. But Notre Dame's also good against the run, number 24. USC does not grade out well, even with that Washington game in the mix. They're at number 83. I'd say the the thing that sort of gives me pause, I think it's, I do think USC gets up for this game I mean, I think Notre Dame is up for this game, too. I just I I have never seen Brian Kelly like Brian Kelly can and will slow it down. His teams tend to win, but not dominate. And I I just I hesitate. Like, I'm going to take USC with with uh, with that. I'm actually that makes a lot of sense. I'm going to take the 11 and a half and I'm not going to take it now. I mean, I'll take it on this podcast, but I'm hoping that number gets up to 12 or 13 um, as the public piles on. We'll see. I mean, it might get bet down because people like the name USC or whatever, but um, it would be nice to see that bump up a little bit more before I take those points. Uh, and Max, it sounds like you're taking, are you going to take the Irish? I, I guess for me, like, it's just, I, I have to see who, how, like who's playing. Like if, if yeah. USC's top guys are not injured, like I, I like I lean Notre Dame, to start, but I'm not going to make a pick for, I'm, I'm not going to, yeah, I'm probably not going to make a pick for this game until later on in the week. That makes sense. Max, as we wrap up the podcast, you have done an excellent job identifying over-unders in some of these games that stand out for you. And um, I, I, the Conger family of five thanks you for, for pointing those out. I think you're 3-0 and or 4-0 and on the podcast with your over-unders. Anything this week that stands out for you? I mean, let me, let me just, I guess I'll, I'll go game by game for Pac-12. So first is Oregon and Oregon, Colorado is 57 right now. That game is probably like, I would lean under in that game, but I'm not. Yeah. That, that doesn't really jump out. The one I was really hoping for was a Utah, Oregon state in the, in the fifties, but 
I oddsmakers got it right putting it in the in the low sixties, and I, I like I think that that it's like a little high, but I, like I'm not rushing to play the under in that because I just think that Utah. I mean, they got so many explosive plays against that Washington State defense. And I think it'll be the same deal, especially if Zach Moss comes back. And, and I, I read that Utah's hopeful that he's back for this game. Uh, and then we have Washington, Arizona. That game is at 60 and a half. That game, I think I like the under there, but it feels that could be like a wonky Pac-12 after dark game. And, and <laughs> those are usually kind of pretty high scoring. But yeah, no, it's interesting to me. Like if you guys, and because Utah, Oregon state and Washington, Arizona are basically are, are the same total. Does one of those games like scream to you as like that game is going to be much higher scoring than the other. What do you think, Rob? I mean, I, I think you're right. I think Utah is going to be able to put up a ton of points against that uh, Oregon state defense. Um, that one could definitely go over. I think, I would say Washington, Arizona, but like I say that, and it's probably going to end up being some like slog, some just brutal slog. Um, I could see, I could see the USC Notre Dame game going that way, going over. Um, if depending on who plays for USC with Arizona, Washington, I just I don't see a scenario where Washington blows out Arizona in Tucson. I. I I just think that it's going to be, I think they're going to have to earn that one. And I understand like, you know, earning it against Arizona's defense could be dropping a 35 bomb on, on it. But I, I just see a scenario where Washington is grinding out a win in Tucson and, you know, their defense is good. Their defense is still good. So Khalil Tate's going to have to earn it on his end too. So if that, if that's in the high sixties or the low sixties, that would, that pops out a little bit more than the other ones. And then there's also, well, Washington State, Arizona State opened at 57. And I know that that's a noon game, but Washington State, first game with new defensive coordinator. Arizona State's been pretty middle of the pack at limiting 10 and 20 yard throws. Uh, and Arizona, I, I like Air, the improvement along Arizona State's offensive line. I don't know. Not, I mean, at first glance, none of these totals really scream out. I, I feel like if I had to pick, I, I feel like that. I feel like the Washington Arizona game goes under. All right. Well, well, let's keep it there. We will continue to to send out our picks as the lines move throughout the week. Again, thank you for tuning in. Twelve Pack Radio at gmail dot com or follow us on Twitter at one two pac radio. Congratulations to our winner of the official third annual. Pac-12 Eliminator Pool. Uh, Kenneth, hit us up on either email or Twitter, and we will get you that gift certificate to StubHub. And thanks, everybody, for listening. If you like the podcast, leave a review. That's actually really important for us right now as we continue to grow. Um, A lot of new Pac-12 podcasts on there, so if you really dig the content, uh, take the two minutes to click there. You don't even have to write a lot. If it's funny, I'll read it on the the air, but like we, we definitely could use the help. So thanks again, and we will catch you later.